one of the things that I love about the ser- series that we're doing right now from the book of Hebrews is that it puts us right into Scripture. And it allows us to quickly and specifically go through a portion of Scripture, to pay attention to it as the Word of God. And so I want to begin this morning by reading the text that we're going to look at here today. And I want you to all stand, if you would, while I read from the Bible. We don't normally do this. You know, a lot of churches will have people stand when they read the Word of God. And we don't do it all the time. We do it sometimes. And this morning, I want to do that. So from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest, whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Please be seated. We have an illustration this morning that is going to represent this call for us to be faithful. I, I just have to make it to this Karen. I just, I can't do it. I can't, I can't make it any farther. This mountain, it's just, it's too hard to climb. I'm only, I'm at 12,000 feet at sea level, and I haven't even reached the crux. This unexpected snowstorm, this gash to my leg, my friends who bailed on me, this has become an epic climb. And I am not up for the challenge. I am grip scared. I am utterly exhausted. My legs are wobbly. My head hurts. It's hard to breathe up here. I think I'm at risk of altitude sickness. And I might not even survive this ascent. Oh, I just wish I was home or safe and comfortable on my own climbing wall or better yet, on my couch. Oh, instead of up here where it's, it's so cold and lonely and vulnerable. I, I want it to be a Gabby, but I'm nothing but a Gumby. Hello? Is anyone out there? Can anyone help me? 
I need a mountain rescue. Please. Please. Okay. You're solo. You got to do this. You can do this. Think. Think. Okay. You got you've got your gorp trail mix. You've got your equipment here in your haul bag. You've got brackets and screws. You got you got your rope. Okay. Okay. Let's tie a knot. Okay. And secure yourself to this anchor. Use a, use a double rope technique and haul yourself up. Fix your eyes on the goal. Don't look down at the crevices. You don't want a crater. Just pull tight on the rope and yard up. Dear God, please help me. Give me strength. Give me endurance. Give me hope. Melissa, if you could just stay back there the whole time. (laughs) Well done. Thank you very much. And I'm so grateful for the notion that we can, in fact, accomplish things even when we think we're unable. There's got to be times when every rock climber feels absolutely tempted to give up. And you know, going down is not an option. If you're climbing a Climbing a thousand foot wall, half dome or something at Yosemite, and you get two thirds of the way up, it's not as though you're going to just uh, rappel back down. <laughs> there are no ropes that long. You're not going to make it. And so you've got to go up. You've got to keep going. And how is it that we're going to keep going when we know that if we don't make it, we're going to die? And so the challenge has got to feel as though. Like almost beyond belief. Like we can't possibly have the strength to face just exactly that kind of challenge. And I think that's what God calls us to. Is to face the challenges that come our way. And in fact, to do what's beyond belief. To do what's almost unthinkable. And so it's not just intellectual challenges. It's not the challenges of evolution or the challenge of not being able to prove the existence of God. That is so much a challenge, I don't think. We can get through those things. But it's the challenge of life. It's like these Christians here in the book of Hebrews 
who themselves feel persecuted and are tempted because of the suffering that they've endured and no doubt are tempted to give up their faith. And so suffering and weariness make cowards of us. Vince Lombardi said that. That weariness makes cowards of us all. We become weary when our loved ones suffer. And in some cases pass from this life. We become weary when relationships go sour. When we don't achieve like we would like. When we don't have many of the things that we consider materially necessary. We struggle to remain positive and confident and faithful when the world crashes in. And we endure stress beyond belief. And it could be that that's exactly where you are this morning. It might be that you're wearied. It might be that you're tired. It might be that you're tempted to throw in the towel. And through all of this, the book of Hebrews calls us to endure, to continue to believe. Between July and December 1940, Hitler's German Air Force, Air Force bombed England. At one point, London itself, just think about this, London was bombed for 57 straight days and nights. The goal that Hitler had in mind, and he voiced this to his generals, was to completely demoralize the British people, forcing them to either give up and surrender or to be an easy target for an invasion. During the bombing, 23,000 Brits lost their lives and another 32,000 were injured. But the British people were convinced that the rule of a demonical tyrant over them was something they wouldn't allow. And as a voice for the British people, Winston Churchill spoke toward their resolve and he spoke often. And so I, I have some things here that someone like Richie Reed is just going to love. Churchill said, you ask, what is our policy? I'll say it is to wage war. By sea and land and air with all our might, with all the strength that God can give us, to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. That's our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer with one word. Victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory there is no survival. 57 days and nights, the city of London was bombed. And he can say things like that. If you will not fight for right when you can easily win without bloodshed, if you will not fight when your victory is sure and not too costly, you may come to the moment when you will have to fight with all the odds against you and only a precarious chance of survival. There may even be a worse case. You may have to fight when there is no hope of victory. Because it is better to perish than to live as slaves. We shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We'll fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight and defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We'll fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We will never surrender. 
Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free and life in the world may be moved forward into the broad sunlit uplands. And if we fall, then the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age, made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth lasts for a thousand years, men will say, this is their finest hour. And so we will never give, give in Never, 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 in nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. And I think these are the same concepts that are in Hebrews. And that which fights against us is different, but the idea is the same. We will never, 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 never give in. We will never allow the forces of darkness, the presence of Satan in our world, the challenges to the church... The challenges to our lives will never allow those to stop us from continuing to believe and to stand where God wants us to stand, committed to Him and faith in Jesus. And so here are some things the Hebrew writer tells us. He says, first of all, Christ is superior to Moses. And in this case, I think Moses represents the whole Jewish way of living out faith before God. And the people were so tempted to return to the Judaism that they had known before. They feel the sting of persecution, the challenge of suffering. And so they wanted to go back and become Jews again. But the writer says that although Moses, who represents Judaism, is part of the house of God, Jesus is the builder of that house. And yes, Moses was faithful in God's house, but Christ is faithful, faithful over all of God's house. And Moses was a faithful servant of God, but Christ is the faithful apostle and high priest who is not just God's servant, but is God's son. And so what would you return? To what would you return that is ultimately superior to Christ? Would you go back to a life of sin? And you know, there are probably people here today, there's probably somebody sitting in the audience who knows what it means to live a life of sinfulness. And there have to be times, as you remember back, there have to be times when you think, I could go there again. I could again take up that kind of life. It's got to be tempting. But in the middle of your temptation, the Hebrews writer is saying to you, fix your eyes on Jesus. And the life of addiction or the life of hopelessness and faithlessness, a life of self-centeredness, you just don't have to stay there if you fix your eyes on Christ. You know, I, I remember 
challenges to my faith as a young Christian. And I, I praise the Lord that like so many of my friends who came to Christ at about the same time, that I, I didn't go in that direction. What I found in Jesus was so life-changing that I simply couldn't bring myself to give up on what Christ had done for me. And the Word of God here calls us to look at all the options and to recognize that it's to Jesus that we absolutely have to stay attached and connected. The second thing that the writer does here is he points to the Holy Spirit. In fact, could you move to the next slide there, please? Look at these words with me in Hebrews 3. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. What does this text say, or who does the text say, is calling us to be faithful? Well, in Scripture, as the prophet speaks, it's the Holy Spirit who calls us to continue to be faithful. We look for a year at the Holy Spirit in our church, asking the question, what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? How is it that we're impacted by the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians? And here the text specifically says that the Holy Spirit is calling everyone to faithfulness. Today, if you hear his voice, and I'd like to think that as I speak, that it's his voice you hear and never my own. That it's his voice who calls you to recall what God did for those who for 40 years traveled in the desert. Who for 40 years were fed every day by God. Who for 40 years were taken care of by God despite their rebellion. And this is what amazes me. When we consider giving up our faith in Christ. We consider giving up our faith in the one who loves us most of all. There is no one who loves us like Christ loves us. He's the one who gave up heaven for us. He's the one who loves us despite our sinfulness and our rebellion. He's the one who comforts us in our struggles when it seems like everything else and everyone else is against us. He doesn't let us go. He doesn't stop loving us. It's not always easy to continue to be faithful in response to that. Sacrifices have to be made. Hard choices have to be endured. But he promises that if we remain faithful to him, he'll always remain faithful to us. And he is still there, even now loving and waiting for us, even when we aren't faithful. He waits. What compels him? What causes him? to continue to love us like that. And so third, the Hebrew writer says that to give up on Christ is to lose the rest that God had promised to those who remained faithful. And he's talking about the Sabbath rest. And he says that ultimately for us, who persevere, who withstand all that temptation and remain faithful, there is a rest that remains. 
And those who rebel, those who say, I no longer believe, they sacrifice that rest. And God wants us to stay faithful and not sacrifice that rest. On April 26, 2003, Aaron Ralston was hiking through the Blue John Canyon in eastern Wayne County, Utah, just south of the Horseshoe Canyon unit of Canyonlands National Park. While he was descending, there was a slot canyon that he was going down and a suspended boulder that he was climbing down from became dislodged crushing his right hand against the canyon wall. Ralston had not informed anyone of his hiking plans, and so no one was searching for him. His arm was stuck. Perhaps you've read this story or even seen the movie that is a depiction of this. Assuming that he would die, he spent five days slowly sipping his small amount of remaining water, approximately 350 milliliters of fluid, and slowly eating his small amount of food, which amounted to two burritos, while he tried to get his arm out from underneath this rock. His efforts were futile, as he could not free his arm from the 800-pound stone. After three days of trying to lift and break the boulder, the dehydrated and delirious Ralston prepared to amputate his trapped right arm at a point on the mid-forearm in order to escape. He experimented with different tourniquets and things, made some exploratory superficial cuts to his forearm in the first few days. On the fourth day, he realized that in order to free his arm, he would have to cut through the bones within his arm, but the tools he had available were insufficient to do so. When he ran out of food and water on the fifth day, he was forced to drink his own urine. He carved his name, his date of birth, and presumed death, uh, date of death into the sandstone canyon wall, videotaped his last goodbyes to his family. He didn't expect to survive the night. After waking at dawn the following day, he had a kind of a breakthrough, and he thought, you know, I can break my arm. I can break the bones in my arm, and then I can cut it off. And so that's what he did. And he torqued his body enough that he was able to actually break the bones. He then performed the amputation with a multi-tool, one of these Leatherman pliers, cut his arm off with that. He was able then to descend. He was able to eventually, I think it was eight kilometers or eight miles back to his car, but he met a family on the way there. They were able to call for help and he was able to walk out. He had lost 40 pounds, including 25% of his blood volume. And there's only one reason why he's not dead. (laughs) And it's because he simply refused to give up on life. He chose to be stronger than what anybody would expect. He wanted to see those whom he loved again. And so today, he still lives. I think about the numbers of my friends and my brothers and sisters, my fellow ministers, those with whom I've served Christ, who chose not to continue in faith any longer. It is a long list, way too long. And it saddens me that this has happened to them. 
that their faith, which in many cases was so strong and committed, has now become shipwrecked. They gave up the one source of everlasting life and the means of joy and peace on this earth. And the fact is that you know people who've given up just like I know people who've given up. And we simply cannot be among them. We have to remain faithful to Christ to the very end. One of the things I love about these verses, in verse 13, as you move on through this chapter, it says, but encourage one another daily as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And today I want to encourage you. And I want to be encouraged by you. Why do we come here? Why are we here this morning? Isn't it because around us everywhere there are challenges to our faith? And sometimes we bring them on ourselves and sometimes they're put upon us. But we have every day challenges to our faith that that question whether or not we're going to remain and be what God wants us to be. And so the text says, today, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as they did in the days of the rebellion. And I want us to be encouraged that it will press on and continue. The chances of there being here today someone who hurts badly and who has thought about giving up, the chances of that are pretty likely. And I want to say to you today, continue. Don't give up. Instead, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And instead, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. So will you be faithful? And will you encourage others to be? What words can you say? What actions can you take? In what way will you this week touch the life of another believer by helping her or him to remain faithful even as you do the same? You know, here in a few minutes, we're going to to break. We'll be done. We'll sing another song. We're going to move into our time of fellowship in between now and the Bible classes. What will you talk about? What will you say to one another? Will there not be a moment for us to somehow encourage each other to remain faithful today? It'll be so easy for us to just talk about something else. And I'm not saying don't. I'd put a lot of pressure on you. We'd all just stand there and stare at each other, not knowing what to say. But I hope that you say something of encouragement to your brother or your sister, something that will call him or her to be faithful today. And today, don't harden your heart when you hear his voice. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be here to encourage one another today. And we're grateful, God, for the book of Hebrews, which encourages us to be faithful to you. It's so clear there are so many things that can can drag us away from you, that convince us 
to no longer be the faithful children of yours that you call us to be. It's easy, Father, to, like so many we know, just wander away, choose to not make it the priority in our lives that it should be. But God, we know that you want and expect something different from us. And so the, through the struggles and through the trials, and for that person today who feels weak in faith and who wonders if they'll make it, God, we pray that you'd help us to encourage that person today. Help us to encourage each other. And Father, through your spirit, bless us that your word might speak to our hearts and we might fix our eyes on Christ. Through Christ we pray. Amen.